Welcome to the Everson Army podcast, sponsored by Manscaped. My name is John, I'm joined by Lee, and um, special guest today, Paul, otherwise known as The Esk on Twitter. So, uh, Paul, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks. Um, thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting about the um, the letter that's been sent to Five Mishiri. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, just before we get to that, you actually yeah. appeared on one of our podcasts in June uh, with Rev and Andrew, where you broke down the finances and, you know, gone over the uh, the potential takeover rumours that were happening then at the time. So I uh, appreciate you coming back on to, to discuss more. But at the start of that episode in June, you actually said um, we were about 130 million owed to two banks at the time and also another 400 million that was owed to Mashiri, uh, something like that, which is, I would just remember thinking, listening to that, we're in the mud. That's incredibly dire, the situation that we're in. Um, so the first question to you, mate, just before we get onto the letter is, these debts that you mentioned in June, do you expect them to be worse or better? Uh, they're definitely going to, well, they're continuing to grow because at the moment we're spending money that we're, yeah. we're not earning. And obviously a lot of that money is going on the stadium. Mm. Um, and that's okay as long as at some point we find a way of financing it or Mashiri agrees to finance the rest of it. Yeah. Um, that's, that shouldn't be a problem to us. I mean, you know, everybody builds a stadium on the back of debt. Tottenham did the same. Arsenal did the same prior to that. Yeah. And um, so that's an accepted way of doing it. Uh, but the problem we have is that you know we're still losing money week in week out, mm. just running running like a normal business. So even if we didn't have the stadium to fund, we're we're still making losses, and we're going to make losses for quite some time especially when we're down at the bottom in in the bottom half yeah of the premier league because that obviously impacts the amount of money that we get from the premier league mm. we've lost yeah. some of usm sponsorship but we've lost all of that usm sponsorship which is around 20 million pound a year so yeah. the revenues are, have fallen slightly or more than mm. slightly um and but our, our expenses haven't some people have dropped off the wage bill you know people like um sigurdsson um, and obviously, Hammers from from last year have disappeared. Yep. But mm. we, you know, we've replaced them with, with other players, maybe not at the same level, um, but we're not we're not anywhere near even breaking even. So, yep. cash is going to be tight for for a time to come. I think. Yeah, it's incredibly depressing. Um, I know there's a lot of people on Twitter who don't fully understand, just like me, the full extent of the finances. Um, and you, you mentioned previously that these would maybe carry over into the new ownership, whoever the new owner is. Um, is. Is there a potential scenario where the new owner could walk into the club on a clean slate or is that just not possible? It's it's possible. It depends on um, who the owner is. If the owner is another very wealthy individual, mm. they may just pay off all the debt and, you know, as, as you said, start with a clean slate. If it's a... Uh, like an investment group, a hedge fund, or something of that nature coming in, that they're going to want to use the the money that they put into the club far more effectively than paying off debt. Yeah, so I would I would imagine that they would carry the debt for quite some time. Mm. Um, which you know, uh, had we had we done it two years ago when we first started looking for, it's it's like looking for a mortgage, I suppose. Mm. When we first started, interest rates were were below three percent, so Tottenham borrowed their money at between 2.6 and 2.9 percent yeah if we were to do that today it's probably more likely to be six or seven percent yeah so the cost of borrowing the money is more has more than doubled you mm. know if we borrowed 300 million even at six percent that's very that's 18 million pound a year just in interest payments so yeah it's much more expensive to do it now so probably it means that you know we need I know a, a new owner who's prepared to fund the debt himself, him or, yeah. him or herself. So, yeah, it's it, much more difficult today than it was 18 yeah, months ago, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be like we, we've got no creativity at all in terms of, um, you know, we've seen what Manchester City do in terms of, you know, fabricating certain sponsorship deals and things. I'm not saying that's a legitimate way of going about it, but we just don't seem to be clever enough in terms of how we go about business and i think that's 
just massively hindered us. We're just not clever with even even with basic things like you know the kit bag deals and stuff. It, it's every every deal that we seem to make is just really really poor. Um, I I won't bore you too much with too many questions about the finances. Let's just jump straight onto that letter, which is going to be a hot topic, I imagine, for some for some time. So, um, for those of you who don't know, Paul Ordiesk is a member of the Twenty Seven campaign, as you may well well may well know from Twitter. Um, just like Lee as well. Um, and the rest of the campaign have just released an open letter to Mashiri outlining some concerns, well, pretty big concerns, if you ask me. So in the letter, you mentioned since our letter in July 2020, um, we respected your request to all Evertonians to judge us at the end of the summer transfer window. Um, so I'll just start with that. Then were you disappointed with our summer transfer window? And, and was it the sale of Richarlison that really sparked this off this time around? Well, I think we always knew that Richard, either Richarlison or DCL was going to be sold before the end of June. Yeah. Um, because that was, uh, although the club have never confirmed this, mm. it's believed to be part of the agreement that the club had with the Premier League yeah. um, to stop getting into difficulties with profitability and sustainability. So given that um, DCL was injured at the end of the season, okay, you play, he played at the Palace game, obviously, but given he had his injury concerns, it was always likely to be Richarlison, and um, so it, so it proved. Uh, did, did that make? That didn't really make much much of a difference. I think. I think the feeling immediately after the end of the season was everybody was just so relieved, and everybody was just like you know so emotionally drained after you know the last couple of months of the season that nobody really had the stomach to start campaigning or protesting. Mm. The early part and then of course as the summer went on um and our transfer business business sort of looked okay although obviously we never got a goal scorer yeah this sort of the view then changed to well this might be a difficult season so we can't really um start protesting just before we start playing premier league football again in august yeah. so we took the view that um actually most of the fan base would, would what most of the fan base would want is to get behind the team as against you know attacking Mashiri or or attacking the board. Yeah. Um, and it's only now that we're in the period between you know obviously the World Cup starting and and then Boxing Day coming back. Yeah. That we felt that there was a window um, to go back to Mashiri and ask him what we think of like very relevant questions, mm. but ask him at a time that should have shouldn't have any impact. Uh, on the field because obviously we're not playing at this moment in time. So yeah. in a sense, it was the, the World Cup coming along was that was an ideal situation for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, as you say, it's a, it's an ideal window to address certain things without actually upsetting the balance, um, which has been a big concern of, of people, as you say. And why do you want to upset the balance? We haven't seen what Lampard can do yet. You know, we need time for the players to see what they can do, etc. It's it's just complicatedly. What what's your thoughts on on that, mate? And in, in terms of trying to upset the balance, and do you think that there is a right time at all? No, I, it, it is an awkward one because obviously, especially when you've got so many new faces coming in the door as well. Yeah, you still have a lot of the old team. It's just it was frustrating for me. I think Paul hit the nail on the head. I don't think anyone. I certainly didn't even want to think about Everton over the summer. I went yeah. away to on holiday to Spain for the weekend. Yeah, it was just it was just so nice being away from it all. Mm. And then like that now with it. the World Cup as well. To be fair, yeah, that was <laughs> been really nice, especially after them um, last two performances against Bournemouth before yeah. the break. But it's it's it is finding that balance because obviously you don't want to. You don't want to disrupt the team, but then at the same time, it's like, well, they do get paid a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. It shouldn't, I mean, it shouldn't affect them professionally, really, when they're on that pitch. Because the process, I mean, we've never done a process at a game mm. besides the walkout. That yeah. was the only one. They've always been away from the players mm. and the team on match days. So, like the one outside Goodison when we played Blackpool. Earlier yeah. in pre-season, yeah. so it's yep, just definitely. finding the right balance, and I think the World Cup coming along is the perfect chance because you know the, a lot of our squad haven't gone the World Cup. I think we've mm. only got four players. 
well, yeah. there's only two left. Yeah. So it's it's the perfect time to ask Machiri them questions that have, we've been dying to get answered for for a while. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, in that, um, as you say, they just touch on trying to trying to get answers and some form of communication. You, you actually say in in your letter, you know, given the absence of communication and any degree of change in the running of the club, we have written this open letter um, to ask you the following questions. So. In terms of the lack of communication, um, do we even know who it is that we we should be communicating with, Paul? Since you know, since Alan Myers left, it's been it's been radio signs. So who who would be the first point of contact, or do you expect that to come from Mashiri himself? Well, I think uh, if we if we were asking the questions of the club, then it's people like Denise Barrett Baxendale and um, Richard Kenyon, yeah. who's the communications and commercial director. But actually, we're not asking the club any questions at all. We're asking the owner the, the questions. So yeah. um, whilst obviously the club have received the letter and they received the the, the uh, press release that we, we put out, um, mm. this this is firmly this firmly lies at Mashiri's door because at the end of the day, he's the only one that can actually do anything about the questions that we ask. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for years, Evertonians, me and many, many, many others do much more work than I have. Yeah. Um, I've pressed the board, you know, to do, you know, to make changes, press Bill Kenwright to make changes, etc. Um, to no great effect, not through any fault of theirs, just because that's the way the club is. Yeah. And now we're saying to Fahad Mashiri, you know, you've really got to address the issues that we raise. Um, because whereas in the past, Fans might have been disappointed, or fans may have thought, you know, we could do better than we were doing. Actually, what we're facing now, the reality of the situation is, is that our very survival in the Premier League is is in question, mm. and all of the questions that we've asked, we think, relate to, or rather, um, impact performance on the pitch. Yeah. So things like finance, things like ownership, leadership, and what direction the club wants to go in. Yeah, these are all. If they're right, then um, obviously has a positive impact on 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 the, on the pitch, on the players, on the yeah. management team. But if they're wrong, and we believe that many of those aspects are wrong, then it must be true that it has a negative effect, and that's yeah. why it has to be addressed by Fired Machiri, nobody else. Mm. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, in terms, of, well, let's talk about those aspects then. So there was five of them: finances, ownership, leadership direction and change um, so we'll just start off at the top then with finances um, so you say in the letter other than the minimum statutory requirements the club provides no information on its finances on the back of constructing a new stadium having extensive continued losses and profitability and sustainability issues it's reasonable for shareholders and fans to expect regular updates about our finances which is completely fair I, I, I agree with that um, so what kind of documents and and evidence would you be looking for them to provide um in terms of clarity what what would you what would you like to see in regard to this well obviously there's the orders of the accounts which you know are going to be late late much later this year than they are normally yeah you know, a number of clubs have already put out their their accounts for the last financial year we're going to yeah. probably not put it out till about march so that so that's the starting point which would be the point in any normal season that you would, you know, you'd want to look at that information. You'd want to get the opportunity to address the board, ask the board questions, you know, yeah. about um, all of these issues. But particularly for Everton, I think there's, you know, the, the two big things is one, the stadium, and secondly, you know, where do we stand in terms of profitability and sustainability? Yeah, are we now in a position where the Premier League are satisfied that we can? effectively do our own transfer business as against having to look over our shoulders as to whether or not the Premier League are concerned or not. Yeah. Um, but the big issue, of course, is, is financing the stadium. Fahd Mashiri said um, publicly that the stadium's financed pretty much until the end of uh, this season. So, you know, um, May, June next year. But I think I think it would be very remiss of, of Evertonians not to ask, well, what happens then? Mm -hmm. Because his yeah. circumstances have changed enormously. You know, the the, the illegal invasion of Ukraine has yeah. imp impacted him. Mm. So it's just a question of wanting clarity. 
Um, and I think fan base uh, deserves that. I, you know, I genuinely think and thought for many years, you know, we, we're, we're the true custodians of the club. We're the people who will be there long after Fard, Mishiri, Bill Kenwright or anybody yeah. else um, has left the club. So we, I think we deserve that, res that respect uh, in terms of providing the information that says, okay, this is, the stadium is going to cost this, um, roughly this amount of money. And mm. so far I've contributed you know, this amount of money that leaves say 200 million outstanding. This is just an example. Um, and that's going to come from uh, three different sources. It's going to come from an investor and we're talking to investors and we think we're likely to do something in the next uh, six months. It's going yeah. to come from a bank or mm. it's going to, you know, uh, we've found a new naming rights partner. Yeah. I don't think there's anything, uh, there's nothing commercially sensitive in putting that information out there. Yeah. As I say, I think, I think the fans deserve to know what the position of the club is, especially mm. in relation to the stadium. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you know, that's, that's the first question that I think needs to be addressed. Yeah. hundred percent mate. I, I couldn't agree more to be fair, especially if you're, you are a shareholder, you just like to, you know, have some, a bit of transparency. That's, that's all we're asking for. That's all. Well, we... Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. The uh, annual general meetings have now you know, gone by the board. Yeah. Uh, for the second time in Everton's history. And the, the, although the club promised that there would be engagement mm. with um, shareholders and other groups, they, they didn't specify what the, those groups would be. The fact is there's been none at all. Yeah. You know, there's been no, even when the accounts were published last March, mm. there was no commentary with the accounts. It was just, you know, here's a, like a 34 page document full of figures that vast majority of people have no understanding of and there was very little explanation from the club as to you know what these figures meant yeah. and whether we were doing better than we thought we might be doing about the same or whether we were doing worse than we thought yeah. we were doing and um, and i think that's all part of being a responsible owner mm. uh, having respect for uh, what the fans need yeah definitely do, do you think it you get a sense that the club is trying to hide certain things from the fans because of we're, we could potentially be in a worse state than, than what we're making out. I just don't think they've got the confidence to like explain the position that we're in. And, and I think mo almost every Evertonian, we're not asking for um, things to be dressed up in any sense. We're just asking for, this is the situation that we're in, like it or not. Yeah. Um, and then we can deal with it, you know, we're, <laughs> As Evertonians, we're quite used to dealing with disappointments. So, yep. <laughs> uh, if if the financial position is is not as great as it should be, just come out and say it, and then we can have a conversation about. Okay, so what's going to happen next? How are we going to get ourselves yeah. out of this position? Mm. As against saying nothing, and then leaving it to you know speculation. One, one might argue, like speculation from people like me who, you know, does does look at the accounts in detail. Yeah. Um, It'd be so much better for the club and for Fard Mashiri if they just explained the, the set of circumstances that we're in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lee, have you got any any thoughts and, and opinions on the, the finances side of things? Well, the, the worrying thing is, as Paul touched on before, is you don't actually know. Like, we sold, we had to sell for Charles, well, we had to sell someone. Yeah. But we don't actually know how much money of that, whatever Tottenham gives up front, because yep. I highly doubt Tottenham paid 60 million mm. up front. How much of that was swallowed up to appease the Premier League for them yeah. to say, right, you can go and spend a little bit more money. Yeah. And are we going to be in the same situation this summer? Mm. Because, you know, the accounts aren't going to look great again this year. So how much more? How much have we got? Have we got to sell someone to be able to spend or even just to be able to? like not get any sanctions put on us by the Premier League. Yeah. And that's what's worrying me because we haven't got many assets that we can sell for good chunks of money left. Yeah, yeah. Um, it. It, it is worrying. The only one that I can think of is maybe Pickford now. but Especially with the World Cup he's having so far. I mean, yeah. Even that, you know, to be talking about having to sell assets this far down the line, it's just, it's, it's just unbearable. Um. It, it really is pathetic. Um, 
And then the, the next category that you, you mentioned in the letter was the ownership. So you say since the summer, messaging from the club has been confused. Is the club for sale? Are you seeking new investors to fund our working capital requirements? Um, other Premier League clubs go about it in a different way. The, the appoint investment banks to handle their requirements and they've been clear and precise in what they want. Um, the problem with this, I don't think Mashiri fully knows or understands what he wants himself. I think he's got several people in his ear pulling him in different directions, and, and I think he's torn. Um, you know, as you mentioned before, we, we don't know the implications that Usmanov has had on this, but we know it's affected him somewhat. Um, and I think that's kind of playing on his mind. I, I don't, I just don't know what he wants, Paul. Do, 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 do you kind of get that sense as well? He just doesn't have a clue what he, what he wants. Certainly from the outside, that's what it looks like. Although I can't believe somebody with his experience and his knowledge of, you know, big business, because he's been USM, which he was chair of for many years. Yeah. It's like a, a massive business. Mm. Dozens of times bigger than Everton Football Club. Um, so one would think that he has the experience to actually, you know, know what he wants to do. Yeah. I suppose the inference in what you're saying is is whether or not all of these decisions are his and his alone. Yeah. Um, and nobody knows that for sure. Uh, but I think the point that we, the campaign was trying to make is that uh, even though, for example, both Manchester United and Liverpool are thinking about selling the club or about thinking about selling part of their club yeah. uh, for investment purposes, uh, the fans know what's going on in the sense that they know that this conversation is taking place yeah, and they know that both those clubs have appointed investment banks to basically run whatever it is that they want to happen or at least explore what, what they want to happen. Yeah. You, you get no clarity from Fahd Mashiri mm. with regards to Everton in that sense. You know, if you, you look back you know, to when the Kaminskys were looking at Everton, um, with Peter Kenyon earlier in, in the summer, summer yep. being, you know, it was all like dribs and drabs and the athletics saying, yeah, well now um, there's a 30 day exclusive period and then the exclusive period disappears and then somebody else says, well, Bill, um, Fahd Mashiri has now decided that he's not interested in selling to them. He's looking yep. for, you know, funding for the stadium. And then, uh, you know, the Amer other American investors turn up uh, uh, yeah. later on in the summer it's all piecemeal and you know mm. sort of passed down sort of there's nothing there's nothing official about it there's nothing you know Mishiri's got his own PR very very um, powerful PR company yeah they should be out there just saying like this is the situation we are mm. because of what happened in Russia uh, what happened in Ukraine you know we're exploring our options and yeah. we're using JP Morgan or you know whoever it is uh, to explore those options and we'll come back to you as soon as we possibly can yeah. and then you know everybody's at least then knows what the situation is um but we don't know that and and part of the problem if you relate it to what happens on the pitch is that the uncertainty about the ownership of Everton football club yeah might might impact somebody like pickford or you know pickford's aid agents mm. might be in his ear saying look we don't know whether this guy has got the money. We don't know whether this guy's still going to be here in a year's time. Yeah. You've got 18 months left on your contract. We should be talking to, you know, Man Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, whoever it might be, Tottenham, who might be prepared to offer you a much bigger contract than the contract uh, you're on currently at Everton. Yeah. It might stop um, players from coming to Everton. Mm -hmm. You know, the agent has two like similar similar offers from yep. clubs of a similar nature to Everton. And because one's got more stable ownership, they mm -hmm. say, well, actually, probably safer if you go to I don't know, Leeds United, for, you know, for argument's sake. Yeah. Um, so I think, it, it, you know, the uncertainties around it have has a real impact on, on how the club is run and yeah. how people outside view the club. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more there. Um, it's that stability that is what people want. And with everything uncertain it, it could even affect Lampard Lee you know it, it, I mean for me opinion I personally think that's this is why Ancelotti left you know he he looked at the club he looked at the mess that was in he looked at the instability and he thought no I I can't be doing with this 
Um, I don't know how you feel on it, Lee. Do you, do you kind of feel the same? or? Well, going back to what you just said about it's definitely affected Lampard in mm. the players he's wanted to bring in. Yeah. I mean, not just going on like the uncertainty of whether he's selling or not, just the finances. Yeah. As I've said on a few of the pods, no disrespect to Neil Mopai, but mm. we would not be, if we were in a stronger financial position, there's no way we'd be looking at a, a player that Brighton don't even want. Yeah. They were more than happy to say, there you go, you can have him. Yeah. You know, I think we paid a minimal down payment on him. Mm. And that just screams out that there's so much like financial scrutiny in the club. There's so much uncertainty at what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at our current league position, it's clearly uh, one of our biggest problems of not being able to score goals yeah. or not scoring enough goals. Mm. And that all, you know, whether you like it or not, that all comes from what has gone on in the last seven years. Yeah, definitely. It's, Let's face it, when Mashiri took over, Brighton were just coming into the Premier League or not far yeah. off. Yeah. A year or two later, they come up. Mm. And now they're selling us a player that they don't want, that yeah. they're more than happy to get rid of. Yeah, their third um, choice striker. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think if, if Kevin Thelwell had a list of strikers, mm. how far down the list did he go until he got to, to, to Malpe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's embarrassing, really. It is. It, it's. I mean, and no he, offense he, to the lad. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not slating him, but when you're buying the likes of, well, we bought with Charlison. He is a much higher caliber player, even with at Watford, yeah. than what Mopai was. Yeah. And now we've we've gone, like it's, we've gone backwards. Yeah, we have. Yeah, it the, the Richarlison one. When you buy someone's hot prospect like that, it shows intent. It signals intent yeah. to the rest of the league, but. The Mopai one just screams out that we're we're just like a wounded animal, um, just ready to die at any moment. That's that's the way I'm gonna say it. Like, but I mean, even even with that, like the, the even the Dwight McNeil one, you know, twenty to twenty five million pounds. If we are that cash strapped and we're spending that much money on these type of players, that that again is just really poor because you could be putting that money to good use elsewhere. Um. It's yeah, it's just a complete mess. But um, we'll move on to the the next category then. So you you mentioned leadership is is the other um the other issue, and you say in your, in the letter in the near seven years since you've acquired your initial shareholding, you've persisted and retaining the current chairman and chief executive officer. There's nothing in the club's governance, commercial, financial, or indeed footballing performance that suggests they warrant continued employment. I completely agree. Um. Not even in a football world. If you're, if you work in a normal everyday job and you've got targets to hit between five and seven years, and you get worse every single year, I'd fully expect to be sacked. I, I don't care if you're working in McDonald's or what. You can't provide a portfolio of work this bad and get away with it. It's it's just shocking. But and Paul, who who's to say that if this was the case and he were, he was to look at, you know, changing some of the leadership, um. Who's to say that? Because he's he's as much of a culprit as the other board members for me. Mishiri, I can't I can't trust Mishiri after the Benitez thing. We've already seen him stick two fingers up to the fans. So who's who's to say that you know it would get better? Yeah, it's it's, it's a big issue. First of all, who, who does Mishiri select? Because we know from his um, football management selections and his director of football uh, selections in, in the early days with Steve Walsh, although. Yeah. Steve Walsh did a better job than most people think. Yeah. Um, but he's not great at selecting people. You know, recruitment is not one of his strong points. Yeah. Um, so if he is looking for a new chairman or if he's looking for a new CEO, you know, how good is he at actually picking the right person? And then secondly, mm. and you know, this is really relevant, I think, if these people, whoever that he's choosing, are actually any good at their job, what's the motivation in coming to Everton at this moment in time? Yeah. With a maverick owner, um, difficult financial position, possible, mm. don't want to sound overly negative, but, you know, possible uh, relegation prospects yep. ahead of us. Okay. Um, one big shining light is, is, is the stadium. Obviously, that would be very, you know, an attractive thing to any senior executive coming in, yep. coming in at this stage. But then 
you know, anybody at interview stage or due diligence stage would say, well, just remind me how this is being funded again, please. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we're back to like point one or point two. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really difficult to see again, you know, sort of painting yourself into Mashiri's painted himself into this corner where all the things that would have been much easier to do four or five years ago are now much more difficult because yeah. he failed to do them. So, yeah. um, you know, in, in the context of the letter, what, what is it that you're going to do about leadership? What, yeah. Why aren't you putting either new people in or why aren't you putting greater demands on the people who are there? Yeah. And if there's greater demands on the people who are there, are those people then capable of meeting those demands? Well, mm. only time would tell, but the evidence is probably that they're not. So yeah. he should be doing something about it. Yeah, no, I 100% Or at least agree. justifying why he's done nothing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it, Lee? I mean, if you're pumping money into something, you'd expect to see where it was going, you know, and, and provide some evidence of where mm. it's going and how you're getting better with that, you know, the input that you've just put in and, he doesn't seem to be too concerned about that. Well, this is where the um, the internal strategic review yeah. comes in <laughs> because, as I've well, I've mentioned it to Paul a few times, and I've mentioned it to you as well, John, on yeah. a few pods. I I don't actually know if it's finished or not. Like mm. we know the football inside, and give credit where credit's due. That looks like the way the academy's being set up, yeah. and the way all that that looks good. Mm. But eight hundred and thirty million lost in yeah. seven years, and not no one. I know was it Usmanov's nephew was on the board and Marcel Brand was on the board, but they've obviously left. Yeah, but no one else is. No, there's just no way in 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 the world that a company of any size could lose that much money, and no one's found culpable for yeah. mm. losing that amount of money, and that's yeah. what. That's really what baffles me over that strategic review because you don't know whether it's ongoing yet still mm. or whether it's yeah. finished. And it just, it really does baffle me because, I mean, if I lose a five in work, I get put under investigation. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lose my job over it, don't get me wrong, I was a fiver and we're talking mil hundreds of millions here. But if it but happened like, continuously over seven years, exactly. Your job. Yeah. It's just, it's mind boggling that. I mean, I'd take a job on that board if I was getting paid that <laughs> amount of money and, yeah. you know, not no fear of losing my job. Yes. They're just, everybody yeah. is, is far too comfortable in the in, in the club itself and well, perfectly fine with it. You'd only have to look at Newcastle. Newcastle came in, all right. I mean, they they were not very well liked up there. Mm. But the whole, they, they all left. These new owners have come in, changed the whole board. Now, obviously, they spent a good bit of money and they spent it wisely, but yeah, but they're miles ahead of us now. Yeah. We were miles ahead of them seven years ago. I think they've been in the championship seven years ago. Yeah, again, another team that were no were behind us, but have overtaken mm. us yeah. through smart leadership and ownership and getting people in place, experts in their field. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to have happened at Everton. No, I mean. As you mentioned there, you know, there's plenty of teams that have overtaken us. We were consistently fighting for that fifth to eighth spot. Um, we got overtaken there by the likes of Bulls, um, and then we slipped down, and then the likes of Palace, Aston Villa, Leicester flying ahead of us. And now it's a case of Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest. They're overtaking us as well, which is just, it's just embarrassing. Like, you, you can't keep slipping down like that and not answer to anyone. Paul, I'll just go back to a point you, you just made there. It's a... With, I, f I feel sorry for, for Thelwell because, um, and anyone else who, who gets a job on the board now, because it's like you're throwing them in at the deep end and, and saying to them, okay, here's the mess that we're in. You've got to get us out of it. And if you don't get us out of it, you get all the blame and you get sacked. Is, do you think that's what's happened to Marcel Brands in a way? I think, I think Marcel Brands' situation is somewhat different from uh, the situation Kevin Thelwell finds himself in. Yeah, I think um, I think Marcel Brands was technically, you know, very very good, and mm. he obviously knew the European market very well. Although that didn't really translate into transfer success for us. Yeah, um, I think he. I think 
you've well actually I know he found it really difficult to deal with the uh, the politics of Everton Football Club in terms of the owner doing his own thing you know yeah. making uh, selections of, of his own but also the dynamics between the chairman the CEO and other people that had been around the club for many many years mm. I think he found it really difficult to settle into and to carve a niche for himself now you might argue that therefore he's partially responsible for for not being a, a success and i think that's a yeah. valid point the fact that he didn't carve a niche for himself he didn't command uh at board level the respect that perhaps he deserved given that he was director of football yeah and um, i just i just think he found it really extremely difficult and i think the people above him uh didn't do a great deal to uh, support him yeah. so i i well from conversations I've had with other people that were on the board at the time, he became very isolated. Yeah. So it was almost inevitable that he, either he would move himself on or he would be moved on at some point. Yeah. Kevin Tellwell's a really interesting one because uh, Kevin obviously did, did really well at Wolves, in, in, you know, early in his career, and and then he went to uh, New York to ex- experience you know a, a totally different uh, footballing environment. Yeah. And. Um, but I think he recognised that if he was going to have like a like a sterling career, you know, a sort of real top level career, that actually he had to be in the Premier League itself as against you know uh, a Premier a former Premier League director of football yeah. uh, out in America. So I know that he was extremely keen uh, to get back into the Premier League, mm. and obviously the the Everton opportunity came to him uh, just at the right time. Yeah. And so he, he took it and he wanted, you know, he wanted to be closer to his family and his family back in the UK. Yeah. Um, but I think he also recognised that, uh, and it, obviously the jury's out on this at the moment, but he recognised that if he could turn around Everton, that that would be a fantastic step up for his career. Yeah. Not only in terms of being at Everton when things were better, but also if he wanted to look for another club on his CV, he could say, well, this is the situation that Everton found themselves in when I came. Yeah. And two years later, look at them now, they're um, qualifying for the Champions League. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> so it, so it was, for him, it was like a very, very different challenge. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I actually think, I, from what I hear about him, I think he's a very good guy. Yeah. The question is whether or not uh, he'll be given that time mm. because of events elsewhere, I think. Yeah, definitely. Just going back to the people on the board as well, and and not you know being held to account. We we've seen recently um, some quotes that Denise made four years ago, um, saying you know Champions League not just a dream. We are actually planning for it. So, and you know four years later we're fighting relegation. Um, you know each time it comes around and it it's just embarrassing. Like in terms of Denise, do you think? she is good at certain things and she she, like we know what she's done with everything in the community we know how many awards that we've we've won because of her input in that but do you think that she should maybe just step aside from footballing operations and do something else or do you think she should just go all together it's very difficult isn't it to talk about an individual because it always then appears to be personal but um she's obviously very competent at certain things yeah um but that doesn't mean necessarily that she should be running a football club mm. and being the chief executive officer of a of a football club. I think the kindest way of, of looking at it is, I think you've got to look at a peer group. So who who are the other CEOs around the country who are running Premier League football uh, football clubs, uh, men and women? Because you know yeah. she's not the only woman that's run, running a football club in the Premier League. Yeah, and you have to say based on uh, their CVs, based on uh, performance, which is obviously most important, uh, and based on uh, what they say, how they present themselves to uh, their audiences, including the fans. Mm. An awful lot of other CEOs seem much more suitably qualified than she does. Yeah, and you, you've just got to ask yourself the question. You know, it's a bit like what we were talking about before about not not having a very f- effective goal scorer. You're never going to achieve your targets if the person that's supposed to be getting you there. Uh, doesn't have the skills yeah. 
to get you there. And mm. I'm sure she's very well intended and everything else. But from my perspective, relative to her competitors, her peers, she just doesn't have those skills nor that experience. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's baffling. To, and the same could be said about Bill Kenwright, obviously not from an experience point of view, but from a, uh, from a skills point of view, from a, uh, an understanding of what's required in the modern age to be a chairman of, of to be the chair of a football club. Yeah. Uh, he's not suitably qualified neither. Mm. And, and it's just a massive mystery as to why Fahad Mashiri, uh, over the course of seven years, yeah, hasn't been able to first of all recognize that, and then secondly do something about it. Mm. It's, yeah, it's it's crazy. It really is. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, as you say, everybody's just far too comfortable and and not getting made to produce any portfolio of ed- evidence of work. It, it just just seems to be the case with me. I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but it just seems madness that they're not having to provide and hit targets on a regular basis. Um. I don't know. Maybe they are, and uh, well, I just don't know. We don't know. Do we? This is the problem. This is why we're doing this, and this is why you guys put out that letter, which surely is is going to be a big help to everyone if some of these questions are answered. Um, but we'll we'll move on to the next category that you highlighted. So direction um, is is a big thing for me because how can you plan and buy players if you don't know the direction that the club is heading? Um, you know, it kind of ties into the ownership category again too and, and not having a plan. And you've already mentioned before, Steve Walsh, Marcel Brands, Kevin Thelwell, they're all very different people with very, working under different constraints um, with different philosophies. And then you add in Kia Jarabjian, um, who we've seen mess about sometimes, and, and Lampard as well. Everyone's got a different ideology and philosophy. So how can you plan and have a direction with all these people going on. Lee, do you want to answer that first, mate, before before Paul talks on that? Because it's just, it, I mean, I'm not really asking a question. I'm just kind of moaning and having a bit of a rant at, you know, the direction of the club because it just seems a bit of a mess, doesn't it? Well, that's a lot of the problem is that there's too many people at the club now who've got different ways of thinking, different strategies, different philosophies. Yeah. And it's pretty much like that with the playing squad as well. Mm. There's so many different players who have been signed by different managers. Yeah. And it you'd only have to I mentioned it in a pod a few weeks ago. You only have to look at Sunderland. Mm. And it, it went massively wrong there. Yeah. They changed their manager, brought seven or eight players. Or even I mean, you look at someone like Steve Walsh. I mean, I don't think he had Compared to Marcel Brands, Marcel Brands, you knew he was looking for players that wanted to play technical football, if you want to, just for a simpler term. Yeah. Where the boss didn't really have, I don't think anyway, had a set philosophy on the type of players yeah. he wanted. And obviously, Kevin Thelwell looks like he's looking to try and bring younger players in mm. to build. But it's, yeah, and I, it, it baffled me that we obviously got Lampard in but then got the director of football. Yeah. In my opinion, it should be the other way around. Yeah. If your director of football is the one who's going to be negotiating play with players, mm. with agents, surely he's the one that has to come in the door first. Yeah. He gets a manager who fits the philosophy yeah. he wants. And then and it just doesn't seem to be it just doesn't seem to have been any planning mm. for a long time at the club. Yeah. And that's a major concern because if you've got no plan. You've got no way forward, then it's it's only going to crumble. It's going to literally yeah. come down like a deck of cards on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. That goes in the di- That's the direction, isn't it? That's we need yeah. a clear plan. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, there, if this if this season comes crashing down and Lampard loses his job, who's to say that the next manager is going to be lumped to some of these players that Lampard's just bought and he doesn't like them? Um, Paul, how would you feel, mate? Do you think if, if Lampard was to go, uh, do you think Thelwell should be the guy to choose the next manager? And in terms of direction, is there any other uh, things that you'd like to touch on? Because we're, we're, we're talking just football and, and on the pitch, but direction can mean a lot of things off the pitch as well. Sure. I think one of the modern one of the things about modern football is that nowadays when you fire a manager or a manager leaves, it's not just the manager that's going, it's like a team of five or six people yeah. who, who, who are around him. So 
you know, high profile people in, in the case of the people that Lampard's brought into the club. So all of the work that those people have been doing with uh, the players, both in terms of, you know, tactics, in terms of like getting to develop their game, understand the game plan and stuff like that. Uh, even the fitness aspects of it, because quite often fitness people are, you know, head of medicine and stuff are all brought in as, as the same team. Yeah. They all disappear. And I think mm. I, I've got no, I can't demonstrate any evidence to this, but it'd be a really interesting study. I think, you know, Everton's had a pretty poor uh, track record, both in terms of injuries, but also in terms, importantly, uh, in recent years of uh, recovery. So yeah. when somebody's out injured, how long does it take them to get back? And yeah. it, how long does it take them to get back to being absolutely, you know, uh, 100% match fit and stuff. And for Everton, you know, relative to other clubs, I think we've performed quite badly. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons for that is because the people who are like looking after the players are, are chopping and changing every sort of, you know, nine months, 12 months, 18 months yeah. as the manager comes and goes. So in the context of direction, if Lampard was to go, it, it's a much bigger hole than it would have been, say, you know, when Mike Walker left the club. Yeah. Because Mike Walker left the club and the club continued running in the same way as it did do beforehand, mm. just just as, as a, you know, a ridiculous example. So th that's one aspect of it. Um, but the, the real point about asking about the direction of the club was uh, more about, you know, what are, seriously, what are our ambitions? Because when Mashiri walked through the door, he famously said it, he didn't want it to be a museum. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Koeman came in and Ronald Koeman did a quite a lengthy interview with uh, Gary Lineker at Finch Farm, where he said, okay, year one is just about getting settling in, maybe qualifying for Europa League. Yeah. Year two, you know, uh, slightly, slightly more uh, competitive. And yet in year three, year four, we should either be in the Champions League or we should be competing for the Champions League. Yeah. And yet here we are now, sort of seven years on, mm. where the sole focus of everybody's mind is, you know, oh, can we finish above seventeenth place or seventeenth yeah. or, or or above? And that and that's that to me is the direction that the club is going in. Both both you and Lee spoke a few minutes ago about, you know, we were the best of the rest as 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 was used to be used to be called. Yeah. But now we're now we're firmly in the middle of the uh, lower half of the table in terms yeah. of if you look around us. Um, and I did some stats which appeared in, in, in the press release as to, you know, number of points per game and how our trend is going down and other clubs' trend is going up. Yeah. Um, you know, the last 53 games that we've played, so the 15 this season, 38 the previous season, we've averaged one point a game. You know, yeah. we're, aver we're averaging 0.7 goals a, a game currently, which is, what, 28 goals in, in a... 38 game season yeah. there's, only, there's only ever been one premier league club that survived relegation through scoring and not but only scoring 28 goals yeah um so it seems to me that the direction is is that competitively you know we're losing positions to our peers and we're uh, performing less and less and less as time goes on yeah the question to fired machiri is what are you going to do about it how are you going to change? How are you going to turn the tanker around? Because at the moment we're you know, either steaming towards the rocks or steaming towards an iceberg, whichever analogy you want to use. Yeah. Um, how are you going to turn this around? And how long are you going to wait before that turnaround starts? Because the longer you, you wait, the, the more difficult it is, obviously, not, not to crash. And that to me is just, and it's not just a question of him putting out some nice words. It's yep. actually, uh, you know, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. So on top of the finances, on top of me explaining to you what I'm going to do in terms of my ownership of the club, in terms of changing the leadership of the club, this is the direction in which we're going and this is how we're going to do it. That's what, you know, any any business owner can should be able to stand up and talk about their business yeah. um, in, 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 you know, in that way. Until the cows come home. Yeah. I mean, that's what business people do, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You know, they, they have a plan for their business and they just 
all they're interested in is executing it. And mm. I think we've got to see that from Fahad Mashiri. And that's you know why the four those four questions are so 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 important because it will give us an idea of whether he is capable of doing these things or whether or yeah. not actually um we should just fold our fold our hand and just um he should move on yeah sell yeah definitely um well one of the other things that you mentioned and was change um and as you just mentioned it our short-term immediate requirements are to stay in the premier league um but that shouldn't be the limit of our ambitions in years ahead uh we have yet to see any changes at the football club and, and changes in leadership um and also you mentioned the change of the culture as well. Um, so I, I agree, we, we need a change. Definitely something has to give. Um, otherwise, we will just get relegated and never come back. Um, but in terms of the change of culture then, because I've seen people talk about um, our motto, Neil Satis needs the optimum and potentially getting rid of that because we just haven't lived up to that for a long, long time. Um, in my opinion, if, if we were to remove it, it it, we'd be letting them off the hook essentially because we can't can't we can't afford them that luxury. Um, I think it has to stay, and we just need to get better. But that's only a very minor change in the grand scheme of things to the culture. So, what other changes to the culture would you like to see? It and how do we go about changing the culture without losing what is left of the heart and soul of our club? Well, I think that the competitive culture can only come from uh, the people that actually run the club. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Chelsea, for example, was a horrible place to work in Mm -hmm. because the owner was so competitive and so much wanted uh, success. Yeah. Some people will say, well, that's not that that, that's not Everton. And that's a that's a valid point, whether you agree whether or not it should be or or should not be. Yeah. But, you know, a bad result for, for Chelsea on a Saturday afternoon. Abramovich would meet the manager, whoever the manager was at the time, uh, you know, a Cobham at, at the training ground on on the Sunday morning and go through what happened. Yeah. Because he wanted to win every single game. Mm. And do you think that happens at Everton? Mm. I know. No, just, that, you know, that's just one example. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it should happen or anything else. I'm just saying if you but if you absolutely if if all you want to do is win, and there is an argument that says, if you're a professional sporting organisation, that's actually all you should be interested in is just winning, because ultimately that's the name of the game. Then you do everything that you need to do in order to be a winner. Yeah, we're, we're nowhere near that. As you as as you both said earlier, you know we're we're comfortable. Yeah, uh, the ambitions aren't there. We're not prepared to stretch ourselves far enough. Uh, to get to the point where actually we might be winners yeah and, and i think that's you know one of the over the years one of the biggest reasons why everton's competitive position has, has declined from um from 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 the mid 80s because every single every single player that was on the pitch in the mid 80s and sorry sorry to hold back to that they were all sort of born winners they all that was all they were interested in doing is, is winning yeah um and then that ran through the club for you know a short period of time, several several years, um, until it, it dissipated partly through Heisel, but it dissipated, and it's never been recovered since. Mm. And you know we are so far away from having, I believe we're so far away from having a, a winning mentality. Yeah. Where does the winning mentality come from? Well, like in any organisation, you're only as good as the people at the top of the business. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that you do in your job, you can be great at, but the business is only as good as the people at the top at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's that's definitely true of Everton, and we're a mile off where we need to be. And that's mm. why, you know, the Leicester Cities, the West Hams of, of this world, uh, the, the Brentfords, even the Brightons of this world, uh, are streets ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, I think Chelsea had it. A lady called Marina. I, th- I can't remember if it was Marina or Maria, but Lampard spoke about her plenty of times, and and he always said, you know, how much of a, a test that, you know, she was to him because she was so demanding, and she would feed back to Roman Abramovich and things, and 
we just don't have anyone like that. Um, Lee, what what's your thoughts on that, mate? And and trying to change the culture and how do you feel about it, Lee? Well, just to go back on what something you said, I hope we don't get rid of the motto because I've got a tattooed on my arm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that would. I mean, I had it fourteen years ago, like, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's true. So now the culture definitely does need to change and I do agree with Paul it comes from the top yeah. as it does in any business or organisation anything um, it's a difficult it's a difficult one because I mean you look back when I think we lost our winning culture and winning mentality a long long time ago like Paul said yeah. I don't think it's been there for a long time so I don't think that's all on Mashiri because mm. There's been people who have been in the club a lot longer than him. Yeah. And we have, you know, we've had, well, we've had quote, good times. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it does, it comes from the top and you've got to, I think the biggest problem is that we haven't got like, what well, is a specialist people in, in certain positions. Yeah. We, I think if you get that, and then you start seeing success, that creates the winning mentality yeah. and the culture within the club. But yeah. at the minute, I mean, I don't look into the thing, them type of things the way Paul would. Mm. But I couldn't actually name, tell you what any of our board do, yeah. what their specific roles are, mm. whether we've got someone who looks specifically at commercial deals and sponsorship deals yeah I, I i couldn't tell you i'm pretty sure the information will be out there if i looked hard mm. enough well but... you've even got the likes of, sorry to chip in but you've even got the likes of graham Shaw who got a job and we still don't know what he does well you look at you know dave prentice and i put a tweet out a few weeks a few months ago and got a bit of stick for it mm. and i wasn't having a go at him but if you actually look at his twitter account he hasn't he hasn't tweeted since he got the job yeah, he's only tweeted about three times. Yeah, and this is a man who's how long ago, like two years or something. Yeah. yeah, and if you look at his, you look at how many times he's tweeted. It's about forty thousand times. Yeah, but all of a sudden he's just gone silent, mm. and I don't think that's that's his fault. It's just the people within the club have basically said, "Well, no," and again that comes down to communication. Yeah, or lack, well, lack of communication. Yeah, it does. It's, the whole club is just from, well, I don't want to say from the bottom because, but from the top certainly is just rotten. Mm. It's just, it's gotten to a point now where, as you said before, it's something's got to give. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think the only way we can get that culture is by change. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the yeah. irony is we've got some really good people in the club as well. Mm. Yeah. Who are just being wasted, you know, um, or the opportunity is just being wasted. Um, like Everton fan services is second to none. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that's just one example. There's plenty of other people at that level who operating with fans are brilliant at what they do. Yeah. Um, and that's just the frustration, isn't it? That we could be so much better at everything that we do. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Um, Paul, how how do you deal with people who, who are looking at this article and saying you call yourself Evertonians? How how do you deal with the with the backlash of that? Uh, well, first of all, often people say, "Oh, you're trying to tell tell me how to be an Evertonian." Um, personally, I'm not, and I don't think anybody in the campaign is trying to make Evertonians be anything other than what they currently are. Yeah. Um, for me, I think. I think Evertonians, having said that, I think Evertonians have a duty to keep the, the club to account because I, I genuinely believe that the club is not necessarily theirs. Yes, legally it is, but the club is actually the fan bases. And, yeah. you know, it was it was my dad's, it was my granddad's and my great-granddad's before me. Yeah. And it'll be my son, son's after, after me. Um, and I think if... If we're not seeing what we should be seeing from the football club and from the people who run the football club, then I think we're duty bound uh, to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, most football clubs, I think that would be, I would say the same, but I think particularly Everton because 
we are such a unique football club and we come from such a unique city. Mm. I don't, I haven't lived in Liverpool for th over 30 years, but Liverpool is like one of the most unique places in the world. And Everton is one of the, the prime assets of that unique city. Yeah. And we just can't, it, it would be derelict if we, uh, if we allowed yeah. it to just, you know, rot away to nothing. And that's yeah, well, the sorry, thing that we've got to do. Yeah, no, sorry to chip in, but I was just going to say we're, we're talking about a club that calls itself the People's Club, but has shown no evidence of being a People's Club of late. I've never really recognised this as the People's Club. I, th I thought it was when um, Moyes used it, it was, it was quite a clever thing, but mm. I, I always felt that it was used as a means of explaining why we weren't very good at things. Mm because we were better at other things because we were a bit softer and we looked after our people and the community and all that sort of stuff, yeah. which is all really important. But I always thought it was a sort of a bit of a crutch for the club to, to, to rest upon. Um, but I think given that the asset is so valuable in a city that's so important uh, and the asset is so important to the people that if we, if we don't see the people doing, the people who run the club doing what they should be doing, we, we we all have to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, we did have a former chairman say the exact thing, wasn't it? Back back in the sixties or seventies or the eighties, was it? When he said, "If Evertonians aren't happy, we expect them to tell us about it." Yeah, in yeah. the sixties, John Moores. Yeah, mm, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, and he welcomed he welcomed that opinion. He welcomed that because he knew it was something that would motivate people that he had working for him yeah definitely um, that they were challenged by it which is which is good mm. yeah um, and that's very different from what the situation that we have today where uh, frankly the challenge is not welcome mm. yeah trying to get any yeah 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 definitely. even though the, even though this letter is not addressed to the club the club will be deeply unhappy about this letter yeah i can imagine um, but at the same time, you know, trying to, you know, it's, this is the only way to go about it because we're not getting answers, trying to trying to get any form of communication. It's like trying to get blood from a stone, in my opinion. Um, it's just incredibly difficult. And yeah, I mean, the, the letter in itself, then is, is there anything in the letter that we haven't covered today that you'd like to highlight that? Um, and also, how can people find the letter? Where can they go to, to read the full article? Um Okay, in, in terms of what we haven't covered, no, I think I think we've covered everything. Um, it, it is genuinely a uh, a letter that is asking the owner to take on board his responsibilities, his responsibilities to the football club, yeah, and his responsibilities to the fans, uh, and act accordingly. Um, and the, the letter can be found. Uh, the 27 campaign doesn't have its own website, but the letter can be found on, on my website, which is the esc.org. Yeah. Um, and quite a few media outlets have carried it as well. So, uh, the daily mirror has carried it. Uh, Liverpool echo has covered it in full. Yeah. The athletic has covered it in full as well. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. Um, Paul, appreciate you coming on mate thank you very much for, no your, pleasure. Thank you both. for your insight and to, to going over the letter for us and and lee thanks as always mate um it's been an absolute pleasure boys and we'll just wait and see what happens now in terms of getting some kind of answers or communication but yeah thanks again gents and um we'll catch you in the next one nice one for coming on paul yeah Cheers. thank you Now it's time for a quick word about our sponsor, Manscaped. Big thank you to the guys over at manscaped.com for sending some products for us to check out. Manscaped are the best in the business when it comes to men's below the waist grooming products. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've used it on my beard actually, and I'm blown away by how cool and how good this lawnmower 4.0 is. You really do make precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And it basically looks like an F117 Stealth Bomber for your balls. It looks that good and comes with its own little wireless charging stand, which looks like something Batman would use. So yeah, it's pretty sick. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived and it's a game changer. Inside you'll find a lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker for your ears and nose, crop reserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxes and the travel bag to hold all that good stuff. 
The ball deodorants, especially guys, is an absolute game changer by the way, you need it, trust me. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the future of grooming and it's waterproof. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight if you need a more precise shave. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear, and ear trimmer. And the Weed Whacker is also waterproof and also has Manscaped skin safe technology as well which helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped box, Boxes and Travel Bag. It's time to take care of yourself, so join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer for you, get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EAW20 at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Everton Army podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share it with your blue friends and family. And don't forget to rate, subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really does help us out as we build this thing up. You can always catch us on Twitter by searching for at EAW podcast. And if you have anything else you'd like to discuss, you can reach us via email at EAWpodcast at gmail.com.